Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornbro, and today I'm joined by Aaron McNicholas. Um, you're uh, with Heartwood Herbals is your uh, is your uh, business. Yeah, yep, Heartwood Herbals. All right, and uh, yeah, you're in Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, why don't you tell the folks a little, just a little bit about yourself and uh, kind of what you do there? Yeah, so I'm a functional medicine practitioner, and I'm also an herbalist, and um, yeah, I kind of wanted to start an herbal business that was kind of around the idea of like getting close to nature, right? You know, we have all these herbs that are around us. And I think in our culture, um, we have things like, you know, a Nike symbol or an Adidas symbol or a Coke or Pepsi. And we have all these symbols in our society that we recognize really easily, right? But like, who knows what like a linden tree looks like or a ginkgo tree or even in their front yard, maybe like chickweed or, you know, just some of the common things that we come across um, just day to day. And so... I think we've kind of gotten divorced from plants, you know, just natural living in a way. And so as I got involved in herbs, you know, I wanted to start a business that was kind of dedicated to using herbs in their whole entire state and, you know, driving them from nature. So I use a lot of wild crafting principles, meaning I go out and I ethically forage the products and the plants, you know, mushrooms, mm-hmm. um, tree medicine that you might see in the products. And yeah, kind of keep it as close to nature, you know, not seeing a warehouse for years. It's right from the, you know, forest or sometimes I even in my garden um, into the bag or into the tincture for the people. Um, but then as I kind of navigate the world of herbalism, I wanted to also offer just, I think, more. I've seen people and they were having kind of, I guess, more intense conditions popping up where they'd be on medications or they might um, be facing a really long chronic condition they've been facing for decades. And so, I just studied functional medicine for two and a half years, and um, it was very helpful to kind of get a more solid foundation in the physiology, um, more biochemistry and that kind of stuff. And ever since then, yeah, I've just been kind of foraging, offering herbs to folks, seeing people for private consultations, interpret blood work. Um, we do a lot of different things. And um, yeah, it's been it's been a journey. It's been a lot of fun, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. So kind of, kind of tell me the journey there. I mean, you, you started out with just a, a, obviously a slight interest in it when, where'd it go from there? I mean, you start getting some training and how, how'd you get where you are? Yeah. So when I was a junior, I went to Indiana university and I was studying kinesiology and community health. And my junior year, my aunt ended up passing away and she had a, a disease about only 2000 people in the whole world have it's a condition where your muscle turns to bone. Mm. And she lived a long life for someone with that condition, but I just remember like seeing things like, you know, she always was fed jello and, um, was bedridden and couldn't move around a lot. And I always just wondered like, what would happen if she got some sunlight or what would happen if instead of jello, we gave her green juices or smoothies. And, you know, I just would think about these things. Like what about the other things rather than surgery and these medications and constant things that she was in and out of the hospital for. And so after she passed, I was, kind of always wanting to go like more of the medical route. Um, but I just got really fascinated in healthcare, but just with my family's background, it kind of was alternative healthcare that was guiding me. And so, um, I graduated from IU was really disappointed in my education, really felt like I was lacking. And so I did the one thing to get more credential and that's good in an herbalism school, which, you know, if you're in the herbalism world, there's, it's not really well, I'd say like credentialed or organized or um, standardized in any way, which is the beauty of it in some ways. Um, And so I remember asking my first teacher, like, you know, will this help me like get a job and like progress me in some skills? And she was like, how about you just come on out? (laughs) And so I ended up going out and staying with a woman here in Indiana named Constance Ferry. And um, I won't say like I fell in love with it right off the bat, but it's something that kind of woke something up in me, I would say. And she inspired me and kind of 
encouraged me to go out to New York and study with a man named Seven Song, um, who is a clinical herbalist out there. He runs the Northeast School of Botanical Medicine. Mm. Um, and I went, to, went out there and spent some time with him. And he kind of awakened, I guess, more of like a travel bug in me. And I saw this guy who would go out and travel across the U.S. and forage things and bring them back to his space. And, you know, he's working with doctors and nurse practitioners, massage therapists in this free clinic. And you get lab tests confirming, oh, yeah, if I give someone barberry that has, you know, the alkaloid berberine in it, their A1C goes down. Great, right? You know, that's kind of like the closest thing to like nowadays we have like a clinical study given how many things that are getting to clinical studies that that aren't true science now. So it's amazing to see a guy who's kind of like I give it to 100 people and 90 out of the 100 respond positively. Um, So it it was cool, inspired me to travel more, forage more. And then I'd say then I fell in love with it. And it became kind of a lifestyle. And then kind of how I mentioned earlier, I started seeing clients and they just had a lot of issues that I didn't have an answer for. So I was like, I need more knowledge. Um, And that's kind of where functional medicine school came in. And I went to the University of Western States. Um, And now I'm hopefully, fingers crossed, starting in in the fall, studying osteopathic medicine. That's going to be the last thing to kind of go into. But um it was kind of all, I guess, inspired by just seeing my own family go through this and then saying, wow, like what more can we do? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how experiences like that can, can just change your whole course. And I mean, it's done it to me just in, in some ways too, you know, just things that happen, you know, in my life and stuff. And it's just like, it just sets you on a path and then you get, you get a passion for it uh, after yeah. a while. I mean, you just, it'll first your eyes are open, then you start down it and then develop that passion. And then, then your passion is not just learning about it. It's actually helping others to go down that same path as what I find anyway. It's been the way it's worked for me. Um, so do you, do you find that we're here in Indiana? I mean, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to make this into a self-serving podcast. Sure. Here in Indiana, well, right? <laughs> yeah. Here in Indiana. Uh, yeah. I know a lot of edible, there's a lot of edible things in my yard. I mean, let's, is there a lot of things I can turn into medicine as well, though? In, oh, in absolutely. In the woods? Okay. Tell me a little bit about some of these things. Yeah, it's great. Well, I mean, first and foremost, like you said, there's a lot of edibles. So mm-hmm. nutrition is a huge, important thing, right? We live in a world right now where how many people know where their food comes from? Yeah, let food be thy medicine, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a great quote, you know. And so if you walk out in your front yard, you can see lots of things. Like I mentioned earlier, chickweed, um, yeah. you know, there's a lot of brambles, berries, you know, that season just passed for us here in Indiana. Um, you don't have to go far. And most people have these things, just they're, they're the weeds, they quote unquote call them. Um, but mm-hmm. the thing is, they're way more nutrient dense than the things you're going to find in the store. And that includes even the organic stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, if you walked like, I guarantee 10 feet, outside your door, you'd find loads of things. Like everyone probably recognizes dandelion, right? We see it every year. Like every part of that plant is edible from the root. You know, maybe in the fall, I dig up some roots or early spring Mm -hmm. to the basil rosette, the leaves in the early spring that are a little less bitter around that time. To even that stem that pops up that can be turned into spaghetti. And then the flower is a great wine. Wait a minute. Hold up. Back up. Now I've not heard that before. (laughs) He turned the stem into spaghetti. So you get some of those, you know, when it gets, starts to go to flower, get some of that, you know, and then just get a steamer basket and steam it. Does it take the bitterness out of it? Because I know they're pretty bitter if you just eat them. Like, Yeah. So if you want to avoid kind of that bitterness with the leaves, just get in the spring. Yeah. I meant the stem. I mean, I've noticed that stem. No, stem. Bitter. Yeah, it can yeah. be. And then, but that's that thing. Like, you know, we are so accustomed to like lettuce. And those more bland greens that then when we have like arugula or that, or um, sometimes if you get uh, chicory, you know, and other things that are more bitter, it awakens something up that we've kind of gotten divorced from. And, you know, it's really important. Yeah. You got to change those taste buds a little bit. I mean, things are just different when (laughs) I find that most things that are better for you are just, just taste different. I wouldn't even say worse. They just taste different. I mean, you just have to adjust to them. You do. Yeah. And yeah, my friends make a running joke that they can't trust my taste buds anymore because they become so <laughs> skewed and they're probably partly right. But think about it too, like probably the other um, way around, actually. Maybe. Um, but think about how many how many people are out there eating so much diversity like that. Like they're eating their environment, literally the ground that they're walking on. They're eating that in addition yeah. to things that they're growing. I mean, that that makes you so much more of a diverse person. 
Mm-hmm. And even let's get more etherical about it. Like if the more diverse of a person you are, the more aspects of your life you can kind of incorporate and encompass. What do you mean by that? So, I mean, if we get solid in our ways, you know, we just have our lettuce, for example, mm-hmm. and that's the only thing we eat. You know, we're going to kind of have this bland life, right? It's always the same texture, this blandness, this okay. expected taste. But then we get, you know, creative and curious about the world. We venture out. We encourage things and we realize that the world is not such a scary place that we can go out and incorporate these different aspects into our life. You know, I think it's great having that diversity and bitterness being something that we've really shot away from. You know, we love salt and sugar so much nowadays, but bitterness being something that awakens something that increases our nutrient absorption. A lot of times it helps with increased gastric motility. How many people are constipated nowadays? You know, it helps with salivary secretions. How many people have like a dry constitution, especially in the winter when like my skin just dries out and it's flaky. Yeah. These things, I think they're important to think about that, you know, what's the diversity like in my life and how could herbs even play a role in that? Interesting. Yeah. So in your opinion, I mean, do you think the the holistic approaches um, are are better than, are a better option overall than what we've kind of a, a, a gave into in, in our system that we kind of have now? Yeah, I think people have to realize like the things like herbalism, um, these are things that were around long, long before we have our allopathic systems. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it too is I think we have this notion that if something goes wrong, we have an allopathic system that will fix it. Yeah. And sometimes that's right. Like if someone gets in a car accident, I don't really want them to come see me. I'd rather have them go to the emergency room. Yeah, yeah. Sure. that's a great use of those services. But if they have anything else that's not a blunt force trauma, why let those professionals take care of it? That's not what they were trained to do. And I'm not trying to knock doctors or anything like that. They weren't trained in nutrition. Mm-hmm. They, they're trained in acute medicine. You know, drug is not a long-term solution. Yeah. And so, you know, ask them about that. Ask them about the side effect. I mean, I have clients all the time. They're on drugs that contradict with each other. Mm-hmm. And they're just given a quick Band-Aid. And I think if you look at the amount of people who are still sick after seeing a doctor and the amount of chronic degenerative diseases that are on the rise, I mean, I, I just look at that statistic. Look at the fact that like in 2030, one in three people have cancer. Mm-hmm. I think that speaks for itself that the allopathic model is missing something. And that if we focus more on some of these holistic, less, you know, damaging, less interventional things can kind of shift us and bring us to resonance. Yeah. I was thinking of, I, years ago, I remember going into a doctor and I was under a lot of stress. I was having, I had a CDL. So in a CDL physical, you have to have a CDL physical every couple of years. You're right. And I was just healthy as a horse this time. This was several years ago. And, you know, I go in there and it was a stressful week. There was a lot going on. I go in there and one of the things they do is check your blood pressure. Well, that's a big deal on a CDL physical, right? So mm. it's high. It's a little high. And immediately they want to start like, he's like, let's do some blood work. Let's get you on some blood pressure medicine. After one test of my blood pressure on one day, I'm yeah. like, it seems like a better approach might be, let's like, let me test it for a few days and let's see where we're kind of averaging at. And let's, I don't know. This seems a little bit, uh, sudden <laughs> to be going on some blood pressure, something I'm gonna have to take for the rest of my life. Cause you know, it's high today. Yeah. Know. Well, and like, I mean, let's look at that. Like, let's, let's break that down. Like blood pressure, like just because someone comes up high, doesn't mean that that's bad. You know, that might just be their normal and maybe because of their unique constitution, like they have a little bit higher blood pressure, but that doesn't mean that they should be put on a medication. You know, we think that everyone needs to be the same, but not everyone's the same. Um, Let's look at the heart too. I mean, I find, I also question a lot of what we're told, like in just, you know, I took anatomy, physiology, all these other things, orgo, all these like classes that are based on science, right? But like, let's look at the heart. And this is a lot of like Dr. Tom Cowan, if everyone's ever looked in him, like if you're thinking about like the heart, how it pumps, the amount of force that would be required of that to pump something that's about the same viscosity, blood as the vessels, yeah. it burst it, it blow it open. There's no way that that works the way that they've told us where it's just a pump. There's yeah. no way. And so it's like these things that we hold as these dogmatic truths. I question like if these are really the way, I think we don't know very much about like cells and what they actually have in them. And so 
we have these doctors who are saying, yeah, you need to be perfect 120 over 80. And so, and then they change these too. They change these all the time. Like markers, they're moved around constantly, you know? Um, So we're just guessing. That shows that we're guessing. Or we're trying to incorporate more people into a a paradigm so that we can sell more drugs for it. Yeah. I've always been told my whole life, I have had a, my heart beats too fast and I used to run. I mean, I used to put, you know, I was, I'd run at least five miles a day. I was just, just every day I'd run. And it, even then my, my heartbeat was always just crazy high. Even my resting heartbeat was higher than way higher than most people, but I never felt it like it was an issue. I never felt weird about it or anything, but then I actually talked to a doctor one time. He's all, oh, no, some people just have faster heartbeats. It's, it's okay. <laughs> he was just real cool about it. He's like, no, it's, it's fine. Good. Some people just have that. <laughs> Well, that's great. I mean, because a lot of times you think about like if someone gives you like bad news about like a diagnosis, they give you a diagnosis. Yeah. That in itself can solidify a thing. I mean, if someone just says you have cancer, think about that, what that does like on an energetic level, what that shifts into yeah. you. And that could be a trauma in itself that causes you to have a disease. I've had that conversation. So I know it can it can hit you pretty hard. Yeah. It does. Yeah, exactly. And so. Like if you study things, like there's a new thing coming out. I well, it's been out for a while, but people are getting more and more interested in it. It's the modality of German new medicine. You know, the idea that there's emotional aspects to how we carry disease, and that if a doctor is just like you have X disease, that in itself is a trauma, and the lesion will show up in the brain, and you can see it on scans, and where that would help affect the different areas of our bodies. And so I think you know, whenever we're even talking about having someone diagnose you say you have high blood pressure or you have a rapid heart rate that will always make you worry every time you start getting that yeah. like, what's wrong with me am i going to have a heart attack down the road am i going to have xyz diagnosis mm-hmm. yeah i mean they used to make me think should i be running because it goes up way higher when i'm running you know shit is that too high i mean is it, yeah. it going to damage my heart it made me think things like that and until i had a doctor say ah nah don't worry about it yeah <laughs> And well, we hold doctors in such high esteem, esteem that we're like, well, if someone in a white coat says that it's okay, then we're fine. Right. But you know, we we help we know our health way better than anyone else. I mean, my patients know their health better than I do. You know, I ask them all the time, "What do you think would help you the most?" Is one of the main things I ask them because, yeah, they know, and I don't need to diagnose them because right. you know, if I don't, they don't think that they have something wrong. And, you know, if it really does get really dicey, like things start getting really out of hand, they can go to the hospital and they can figure things out. And they always should do that. Definitely. Um, I tell them I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical practitioner. Use them for that diagnosis if you want it. But a lot of times I think that initial shock is more detrimental than it is beneficial. What, what kind of patients do you see on uh, usually? So when I first started, um, it's like a running joke with my family it was like, I didn't get any just like classic, like, oh, I have an upset stomach person. It was always like these like stage four cancer or someone who was in like the medical system and had some botched surgery and would come in. And I'd say it's mostly people who have seen a doctor. They weren't happy with the results. They have something that's been long-term wrong with them and they're looking for other things. Um, So it is a lot of cancer patients. Um, But I would just say people who, yeah, have had conditions that can't really be answered for them. Okay. And, and, and you're seeing pretty po- fairly positive results with holistic approaches then. Yeah. I think, so you have to ask yourself, like as a practitioner, like my job is not to fix them first and foremost, right? Like I can't do that. That's not my job. My job is just to give them a, a slight nudge and encouragement so that they find like resonance in their own life. And so like I've had people who come in and they, want to just like they want to do their full chemo they want to do all that kind of stuff and i'm just there to support so to make sure that the chemo can continue to be administered and they don't have to drop out early some people don't want to do that at all they want to just do the natural stuff yeah um so i had to ask myself like i don't think i'm supposed to cure them and i can't do that quote unquote by you know our diagnosis and medical professionals i can't quote unquote cure anyone right um but then like sometimes it's just like let's get someone out of pain every day yeah, And let's like help someone um, just to get really inspired to eat better every day. And I, I do see that. I think I see those things. I think people start feeling a lot better. They get inspired to change things. And they do notice things like, yeah, those conditions get less intense. And, you know, you just got to ask yourself, like, also, like, how far are they willing to go? You know, if they're willing to do everything, 
and kind of jump in and change their whole life, I think they see more results. But sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard. You know, you take certain things away and some people were like, well, that was my identity you took away. Yeah. And yeah. so then you got to step back. So I'd say I do see good results. I think I see r- far better results than allopathic, like you could say. Um, but I would say this: it takes a lot of time. It's not going to happen like tomorrow. You know, right. you know, it starts tomorrow, you know, that change. But the results you might want to feel and see and, you know, see on the scale or in the mirror, it might take years because it took you years to get sick. It's going to take sure. you years to undo that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. I mean, you, you and I have talked before I was actually on your podcast. So we, you know, my story a little bit and, and I have the same, you know, I had the same situation, you know, I was cancer, colon cancer. And, you know, and I just said, I, I don't want to do this. You know, I don't want to do the chemo after just a couple rounds. I was like, I'm, I'm out, you know, let's just stop this and let's go a different route. And, um, you know, against the oncologist's advice, you know, he was like, ah, you shouldn't do that. You know, he really tried to talk me out of it. I just wasn't going to have it. And I just, you know, I changed my diet, changed my lifestyle, you know, and just started doing a lot of things differently. And, and it worked out well for me. And, and, you know, I always say that with caution because there are people like you said, that just say, I want to do it. I want to do what the doctors tell me. I just, can you help me? Or can you, can I do anything to, to make it better? Or, you know, even make it so I don't, uh, cause what you see a lot of times is, is somebody will go through everything the doctor tells them to do, but they didn't change their lifestyle at all. Yeah. And it's just an invitation for what, you know, if you do the same thing again, you're probably going to end up with the same results. And, and you see a lot of that, you know, and, and I felt like people who would come to you would maybe want that change for a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, like, let's look at like breast cancer. Like how many times does someone get diagnosed with breast cancer to only have it come back mm-hmm. later on? And that's because like, we never got to the root cause. And if a, a surgeon tells you they got all of the malignancy out, they don't know that. There's no way. They they can't tell that, especially with that kind of cancer. And so the only long-term strategy for that is to figure out why you got in the first place. And that could be like, it could be like a trauma. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times you'll see like in Germany medicine with breast cancer patients, you see like there's this kind of like I had to take on the whole world. Like I'm the one that has to be the, the strong one, the carrier of everything. Um, but you'll also see other things like we have environmental toxins. How many people have been exposed to EMF to, you know, um, they grew up next to a sewage plant, a power plant, a railroad. Um, maybe it was their diet. Maybe they had a high glycemic processed, sad American diet. It could be a lot of different things. Um, and so, yeah, figuring that out for that person, that's huge. And yeah, I think if they can be open to saying, hey, this is why I maybe got this. And I remember when we talked about it, you knew, which was, yeah, I think, I, I, I mean, kudos to mine. you. Yeah that's a huge step in that journey. They're saying like, Hey, this is what, and I got to change it. And uh, I mean, if you're able to do that, the sky's the limit. Yeah. Do you see that with most patients that they just say, Oh, I know why I've got this. I know what caused this. Do you, do you, do you find that quite often to be the case? Uh, I'd say it's split. I mean, I have some people that are like, I don't want to go down that route. There's some people that don't want to do that. And it's going to make that treatment process really, really hard. But then there's other people who do. And I think it, you know, yeah. So I'd say it's a mix. It's kind of just depends on the person and where they're at. So you think a, a possibly a major cause of, of cancer is just some kind of a trauma like that and, and whether it even be an emotional response to something or, or physical even, but often that'd be the case? Yeah, I think most illnesses do. I mean, really? I, d- I don't really know if we per se, like, like if someone gets under the weather, like how many times do people like work themselves to the bone and then they get a vacation and then they get sick on the vacation? Yeah, that is true. That does happen. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a large part that is emotional. And now, of course, sometimes like if we ate some food that was like bad, like we had some like expired guacamole or something like that, we might get sick because maybe there's a high bacteria count in that. Or you just eat fast Um, food for 20 years, three times a day. It gives you gut cancer, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes there's just simple things like that. Um, But I'd say more often than not, there's always a, a, 
emotional, vibrational kind of aspect to all things going on. That, that reminds me, I, there was some homesteaders uh, I used to follow quite regularly. And, and I know that, man, they eat, they ate really healthy. They, they did, you know, they grew their own food. They did all the right things. And I remember there was a, a situation where one of the children in the family had got in an accident and got hurt really bad. And the mom was just got under a tremendous amount of stress over it. And it just really kind of just emotionally wrecked her. And shortly after that, uh, she got cancer mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and yeah, and, and ended up losing her life eventually. But it, it was just kind of, a, I remember it being a conversation that was quite often that they that have is like, you know, what caused this? Everything we're doing seems right. And even they came to up to that, to that determination. It was probably the stress of that situation mm -hmm. that probably sparked it and got it going in her, you know, and I think that's highly possible. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, if you want to call yourself like a good practitioner, you're going to take all these things in consideration. You know, there's so many factors that could come in and affect someone's life. And I think, you know, in the medical system, we want to say it's just this one thing if, and we want to put our finger on that. But I mean, there's just so many things in finding the root cause of it. That's mm. the hard part. But it's also the kind of the journey, right? Figuring out what really caused it. Um, and I think if we're going to be kind of like more in a set of like epidemiology, figuring out like, why is this illness really progressing and how is it, you know, occurring? You got to think of so many different factors. I mean, it could just, yeah, it could be like that emotion. It could be your environment it could be lots of things. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And there's an herbal approach to these things, huh? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, if it's, is like, is, are there herbs that I can, um, uh, go out and pick that help with stress and help with that. I mean, obviously just going out and picking them helps with the stress a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there's just so many that, you there, know, yeah, you, you, probably you could, could that long list. There's, there's tons of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many that you could try for like stress or anxiety. And yeah, I'd encourage people like if you just go outside and get your feet on the ground, that in itself, that process, that's super healing in itself. Like it is. Yeah. I can't tell you like, I can't remember what, how much time the average person spends outside. It's, it's embarrassing. So if you can go out and just get in the soil, like your local microbiome, that's huge. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of my favorite ones to use, like I'm drinking holy basil right now. Now that's a non-native, you know, that's not something that you would just go out in your backyard yeah. and probably find, but, but anybody I love, can grow it. It grows, yeah, easy. grows super easy. Um, so I love drinking holy basil right now. Um, but I was just in Asheville, North Carolina. We were talking about before we started recording and one of my favorite trees to find around there is mimosa. And so that's kind of on my mind right now. So, you know, mimosa is a great one, if, especially if we have, um, stress using the flowers more for like uplifting where the bark's more deeper nourishing. Um, so you can make different blends with that. You know, if someone likes more of like a floral tea blend and they want something that's kind of nice and uplifting more emotionally they could throw like mimosa flowers in but there's been like a long-standing like maybe they're always been stressed constitutionally and they're kind of one that like creeps towards the darkness and stressed out periods doing a blend with like i don't know like mimosa bark in there um with like wood betony that's another great one um to kind of help people out but yeah just go in your front yard and start just like figuring out what local plants are around you and learning what they look like. Um, and that's a huge part of like, yeah, getting a connection. So when you walk out in the woods here in Indiana, what are you looking for? <laughs> um, it kind of depends on what is barren on the shelf. You can kind of see in the back what's barren on the shelf back there. Um, okay. okay. There's a lot of things you're looking for then. <laughs> there's a lot. Um, I'd say like my eyes, when I go into a forest, I kind of always go towards mushrooms, like right off the bat. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have a special relationship with mushrooms. And so I think I kind of look for that. And then, you know, you kind of scatter around and then you look at the local trees and like the, okay. um, sometimes the lower growing plants and, um, yeah, you kind of just figure out what is calling to you, what, where you're at in the season. Like, you know, right now we're kind of in summer, yeah. um, kind of middle of summer here. So things are shifting. There's a lot, some fruits, you know, we had some brambles that were popping up. So you saw the canes and the fruits and mm -hmm. it's a great time to harvest those. So we're kind of in that like flower fruit season right now. I saw bee mm -hmm. balm the other day, which was a great one. Yeah. Um, so I think your, your gaze kind of shifts with the season. So like right now my gaze is like fruits and flowers and some leaves, but we're going to get to fall here soon. And my shift is going to be more like roots and mushrooms and, um, yeah, kind of that kind of adaptation. Yeah. 
maybe when do you harvest barks more in the winter time? You can do some. Yeah. Spring's also a good time because okay. when the heat, you know, it kind of makes it hard to strip okay. the outer and inner bark. And, um, yeah, you kind of want to get those colder temperatures. So yeah, I mean, you could do some in the winter as well. Um, but yeah, springtime. You hinted this earlier. Uh, I, I caught up. I, I caught it when you when you said it. But you like to ethically harvest. Mm. You wanna, what, what's that mean to you? Just making sure that things can continue to grow. Obviously. Yeah. So yeah, if people are like really inspired, like they're like, yeah, I want to go out. I want to start identifying. Like, go out. Start taking note of the things that they're seeing. But don't pick yet. Maybe just notice. Like, yeah, that's a dandelion. Okay. Yeah, that's chickweed. Okay. Yeah, that's ground ivy. And then as they get more confident, like trying to say like, yeah, let me have three points of reference. So like Aaron said, it's that the website said it's that. And then I, my, my book that says it's that. So now I'm confident. Now I can go pick. And so let's say I did find like ground Ivy. That's a common one in people's yards. I found ground Ivy, which is a great one. If we have like a post nasal drip going on. So we found a ground Ivy. I have a post nasal drip. I'm wanting to fix it. I see four plants. I might only pick like one of those four. Because I know, like, if I take three out of the four, that that little section might collapse. Mm-hmm. And so it throw off the ecosystem. Or, you know, if you were coming over and I was like, well, you know, Harold really might like some of that too. I could go pick another one without having to worry about disrupting too, too much. Right. And, that, and then maybe if you want to enjoy it, you can enjoy it. So I think ethical foraging to me means, like, I'm stewarding the land so I don't destroy. I'm keeping balance. Mm-hmm. But I'm also encouraging growth. Like sometimes I take out the invasive species, like you know garlic mustard, so that then other things can grow. Yeah, and I'm also allowing other people, like you, to enjoy that area and space too, and be able to get medicine, get food from it. I'm just imagining somebody hearing, "Oh, that tree, the bark on that tree is really beneficial," and then they go in and just completely girdle a tree and kill it. Yeah, you know, or something. And it's like, wow, you know, that that just yeah, you you want to be you want to pay attention to that and, and make it to where it's going to be there for a long, long time for others to enjoy and, or you to enjoy in the future even so, and get something from it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially with trees. I mean, girdling is one of the worst things that you can do. You introduce a lot of infection and disease and yeah. I mean, if folks want to use like tree medicine, like get some of the branches that are growing in a a bad direction, like into like someone's uh, fence line or growing towards the ground that are going to like, you know, run out of space eventually or have already snapped in half. And then just use that branch and strip it. Something they were going to prune off anyway, probably. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And then I'd say too, like, I think a common question I get asked a lot is like, what about my neighbor who sprays? Like, should I still gather when my neighbor sprays? Um, and I would say this, like anything that is in the store on organic, I'd rather have wild food that's been sprayed than even that organic stuff. I would and do so, my best to avoid sprayed food. <laughs> I absolutely you know, <laughs> if I had it, another option I'd probably go that way <laughs> definitely yeah I mean if you're like on the fence line they're spraying try to plant on the other side or have yeah. a barrier crop or something like that um but that's what I'm trying to get at is like the even the organic stuff that we think is safer it's really not yeah so you you feel like obviously that wildcrafted products are really important um I mean general overall thought about the herbal industry I guess what I'm wondering about yeah that's a great question um there's a great book um, that I had a friend of mine who she's a rep for supplement companies. Uh, mm-hmm. She recommended reading a book called The Business of Botanicals. And uh, she had recommended it to a friend who passed it along to me and we kind of all started talking about it. And I remember reading it and, you know, I think we all think like supplement companies, they probably mean well. They can be, they can be just as bad as pharmaceutical companies and they just yeah. want to make money. And I don't think people realize like, you know, like, Let's say, let's take holy basil. We were talking about holy basil earlier. Let's say a farm grows holy basil and they get 100 pounds of it and they ship it to the warehouse because it's going to be put into vials and they're going to tincture it. That might sit in that warehouse for a year or longer. And sometimes it's just on the ground. It's not even like in a bag or on a shelf. It's just on the ground. Mm. And then they ship it over to like Germany. It has a, like a really big distribution and processing plant but sometimes it's kept here locally it could be like still in the states then they process it and that processing is different for every single company and then it's if it's shipped over to germany for example then it's shipped back to us in little bottles and then distributed throughout wherever it needs to go so to me like 
first of all, I was left alone for a year. It's been kind of like shoved off in a corner and forgotten about, right? I mean, think about what that does energetically. Like we've forgotten about our medicine. So I think like the answer is like, keep it local. You know, if you know someone in your area that's making herbal medicine for you, and it's from your backyard, your local microbiome, that's way better. And it's going to be fresher. They're probably harvested it that season. Yeah. You know, you're going to get way more medicinal constituents in it. And I'd say this too, the supplements and the herbs that you buy at stores, they do work, but they're not going to let something that could cure quote unquote, a disease, just be that easy to get. And so you're going to have to really get higher doses of some of those things on the shelves to actually see a big improvement. Mm-hmm. You know, I take a dropper sometimes of like, let's keep it going with holy basil. I'll take a dropper of holy basil from a mainstream company versus I was just in Asheville at Mountain Gardens and I saw um, some of my favorite people like Joe Hollis runs that facility out there. You have a taste of that and man, it's it's way different. Hmm. It's way different. So how do you, so just in, the best way to guard yourself against maybe dealing with the wrong characters in that business, just like you say, is maybe just choose local, get to know them and where they're sourcing their stuff. Maybe just, you know, go down that path. I think it's kind of the same as the farmers. Like you're, if you're sourcing like your eggs from your local farmer, you want to get to know your farmer. You want to know where he's feeding his chickens and what, what they're doing. I mean, I think it's kind of the same way with herbs, right? With, with the herbal. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, get, someone who's in your area that's an herbalist and ask them like, how do you make your herbs? Where do you go to forage? Start asking them questions like you would your farmer, like, what are you feeding your chickens? Is, you know, is it grain or are you letting them, you know, range? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, get to know what they're doing. Cause sometimes, you know, there's a lot of herbalists too, who they'll buy like dried herbs from big companies who are doing the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. I want to say that we're all, at different points and what we're doing. And yeah. like I said, that's, that is a benefit still, but then maybe just say, Hey, like, do you forage anything that's local by here? And if like, yeah, buy a lot of that from them because it's going to be really, really good stuff. Yeah. It just made me think of the, when you go to the farmer's market and you get to see the person there, that's probably buying all their produce, having it shipped in from four States away. They don't even grow it. And yeah. at the farmer's market, like they grew it, <laughs> but then you exactly. ask them and, Oh no, we buy this. <laughs> it's like same thing really. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. Um, so would you suggest anybody, I mean, obviously you're big on going out and foraging, but it sounds like also growing some of your herbs at home as well is a, good, a really good option. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's so many herbs that are really easy to just grow, even in, yeah. you know, if you don't have a lot of space, like even in just containers, like you could grow like, you know, peppermint, super easy to grow. It's if you throw on the ground, it's going to take over whatever that area. Yeah, is. I've got quite a patch of it here. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some, I've, you know, I've transported comfrey plants that I thought were going to die and you put it in the ground and boom, it just takes over. I mean, there's so many plants that are easy to throw in like that. A lot of other ones like thyme is really easy to grow too. A lot of even like our culinary herbs, you know, you could just start with that. And yeah, I'd say, you know, when you grow it, you get a relationship to it. Mm -hmm. And we used to have that kind of connection and, um, doctors used to have their physic garden. You know, they'd go out and they would walk outside and say, hey, this person's got this illness. What what do I need to pull for them? And it was kind of like that when you grow it, you have that relationship to it. Yeah. And if you don't see how life originates, like in the soil, how can you help anyone else with their life and their health? I'm just imagining somebody saying, hey, you got anything for this? And I said, let's go out and look in the medicine cabinet and you open your back door and there's a garden there. And so let's go pick some stuff. That's the dream, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, that sounds neat. Yeah, I love it, man. I mean, I and it's something I've I've dabbled in, you know, and I try to get a little bit better at. And I grow one thing this year, a couple more things that year, this year. And but foraging is something I definitely want to learn more about. What's in my backyard? As you can tell, I've been trying to kind of get you to say a few things, you know, like what about should I, what should I be looking for out there, you yeah. know, and name it. But uh, I know it is difficult because there is so much, and and I would say, you know a lot of things have benefits we don't even think about, you know, we just depends on what you're needing at the time, maybe. And and just getting to know everything that's out there growing because there are some things you don't want to put in your mouth or rub Mm. on your skin, obviously. Um, So you do need to know it. Uh, I guess with that, I guess I would want to ask you, what are some good resources to learn those things? What's some good ways to learn that, learn what I should be looking for and what I should be picking and how I should be using it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If, if the good rule of thumb is if you don't know what it is, don't consume it you know, don't mess with it. Just observe. 
Um, especially if you're thinking about selling products. I mean, it would just be horrible to pick something and then sell it to someone and they get ill. No. Oh, yeah. um, so, you know, I kind of obviously said like I got involved in learning from Seven Song and some of the local herbalists here. So, I mean, find an herbalist local that maybe knows how to do plant IDs and like go on a plant walk with them. That's a great way to start learning um, how to learn all these plants. Um, second, I'd say like you can pick up botany or ID books field guides. Um, Peterson's is a really good field guide to get. Um, National Audubon mushroom guides, another one that I use quite often. So having some guides on hand is wonderful. My favorite series of books to begin in foraging is um, by an author named Sam Thayer. And I consider him to be one, a really wonderful guy. He's, He's a wonderful guy. I've had the pleasure of doing workshops with him and spending time with him. And he's got, I think it's three books on foraging that are laid out better, like better than any book I could think of. And he just came out like a couple months ago with a field guide. And it's probably the best field guide that's been published yet. Wow. So I would say go pick up Sam Thayer's books because he goes through each season, what toxic lookalikes could be. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll go through a bunch of fun things like recipes he's done, identification traits, um, things you look for when you're going to actually harvest, like, you know, if you're harvesting persimmons, yeah. which are my favorite one in the fall, you have one of those that's not ripe yet. You're going to be regretting it because you'll have a pretty dry mouth. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, so, yeah, I'd say check out Sam Thayer. And then, yeah, if you go on YouTube, like, he's got videos. Uh, another one of my favorites is Alan Burgo. He's a chef out on the West Coast. He's, I think, in Minnesota. I want to say Minnesota, Wisconsin kind of area. And um, he's got a lot of cool recipes, especially with mushrooms. And he's got some cool videos out as well. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, well, definitely. I'll look up some of those things and put links in the notes for uh, for folks. Because I'm a book guy. I love having good books on my shelf. I love you know, anything that I can. I mean, I, I say that, but I also say I don't think anything replaces like someone getting out there with you and saying, this and, and being able to show you hands-on what something is and how to use it. I think that is Absolutely. the best option. Uh, do you know any resources where you can find um, uh, folks that can maybe show you or take you on plant walks? Do you know any resources or anything like that or websites that list things like that? Yeah. I mean, it. so, I mean, here in Indiana, there's, there's a lot of folks. Like I teach them if they're on the South side. Um, we have a mutual friend named Karen Burr who mm-hmm. teaches plant walks. So, I mean, I would just say, like, find a local herbalist and maybe, like, look, look up herbalism in Indiana. Okay. People are welcome to reach out to me and I can connect them with whatever part of town they might be on with someone. Because, um, like you said, like, that's a great way for people to get firsthand experience. Um, sometimes if you even reach out to the parks departments, they've had things like they'll, I mean, sometimes if you go to a park, like, they'll have the tree identified with, like, a little label. That's mm-hmm. really cool. It kind of gives people, like, a, a little hint, a pretty obvious hint. Um and they sometimes do like different classes. Um, so I'd say just like reach out to a local herbalist and see if you can get connected in the community. Cause that's a good way to look for plant walks. Um, if folks are interested, I'd advertise them on my social media or through sometimes at Georgetown market or other yeah. practitioners I work with in the area. We advertise the plant walks in their area. So that could be an option too. Sure. So, um, Okay. Yeah. That sounds great, man. And I'd love to be involved in something like that. I'm not that far away from you. So I'd love to maybe participate in something like that sometime. I think that'd be really cool. Definitely. Yeah. We'll have to get you out. Yeah, for sure. Well, I will definitely, uh, I'm going to point people to all your, your uh, links, uh, for instance, I, you know, first made contact really through Instagram. I think mostly where, uh, Karen and I first made contact and then, and then you, and, um, you'll be at the Indiana homesteaders conference this year. I don't think you're speaking, but you're going to be there. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be with um, with Karen. We're going to have a booth together and we'll be selling awesome. herbs. Um, yeah. So I'll probably bring a lot of like mushroom coffee and yeah, oh. some dried herbs and tinctures. And yeah, we'll be talking about herbal medicine and functional medicine. Probably we'll talk about like some lab work stuff too. So yeah, if folks are interested in that kind of stuff. We'll have a booth and we'll go into that. 
why don't you talk for just a second about that? What what kind of things do you offer? I mean, you do, I, I heard something about blood work. I've heard you mention that before there at your office. What's that about? Yeah, so, you know, you can go to your doctor's office and get lab work done. And um, the thing about functional medicine that I really like is that when you go through the training, like they'll have a lab range. And it's nice because in functional medicine, we take that range that usually looks like this down to this. So we get a little bit more specific. So wide down and narrow for podcast listeners. <laughs> yeah. So we make it more narrow because, you know, if you look at all the people in the whole world and you're like a, let's say a, a pretty healthy person, but you're being compared to someone who has a chronic condition, that's a different comparison, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different factors that might also contribute to why that range needs to be changed. Like we said at the beginning of this show, like how many times are we told that we have high blood pressure? with this, the change and they change the marker all the time. Um, so functional medicine uses a little bit more specific ranges and, you know, overall, like I'm not like the absolute biggest fan of lab work because a lot of times if someone comes in and says, I eat pizza and we had wings and I smoke tobacco, why do I need to run an inflammatory test to tell me what they just told me in person? You know, that's just going to be an upcharge to them. I don't need to save, I don't need to do that. I'd rather save them money. And so I run very specific labs. Like I am a fan of, we do like Dutch lab testing for hormones, Mm. um, GI effects for looking at like the microbiome and parasites. Mm. Um, I do very specific lab work for blood um, based on the work of Morley Robbins, where we look at like what's copper, iron status, ferritin, ceruloplasm, these things that kind of make up our blood, how we oxygenate and hold oxygen. Um, so I run very specific markers for that. And also just mineral status with hair tissue mineral analysis. I'd say those are like the big ones that I've kind of invested in. Other tests, I wonder, you know, with PCR tests for viruses, I don't really agree with how they do a lot of the diagnostics and if how they spin them and how they even go about if they really even tell us anything. So I I run functional Madison lab work and get kind of really specific, but then I'm kind of really picky about which ones we even use. Cause like I said, a lot of times people will tell you what you need to know just in person. Um, but a lot of the tests I think that we have access to, like we don't really know what they mean sometimes, especially if we have other things. Like if you read a paper and they're like, we centrifuged it and then spun it and then blended it into this. It's like, can you really extrapolate anything from that? I don't really think so. So what, what's the practical end of this? What do I need to do to change something that's wrong? Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's cool, man. You're doing some pretty cool things up there. And uh, your office is at Georgetown Market. Where you do yeah. So if folks come in for a consult, um, we do have an office at Georgetown, me and another practitioner named Lauren. Um, she's a functional medicine chiropractor. We both share an office space um, out of the store and we run a podcast called Awaken Indie. Um, great and, podcast, yeah. by the way. I've been really enjoying it. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. No, it's fun. It's, you know, she approached me about starting it. Oh, I don't know, just under a year ago. And um, it's been fun. And so, yeah, we have an office space there and we both see folks. And um, I do also do like virtual consultations as well if people can't make it in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, you're doing some cool things. I, I love that your your focus is really on this path because obviously what the system has been doing isn't working. <laughs> you know, we, we need to change, uh, how we approach medicine, how we approach our health. And, uh, I think what you're doing is great, man. You're providing a great service for folks. And, uh, I know a lot of people are uh, benefiting from it and, uh, yeah, I hope you'll keep it up, man. I know you will. I mean, you got, you're going down some paths that are just, you know, uh, amazing. I know you got a heart for it too. You want to see people get, you want to see people live better lives, you know, higher quality lives. And, and, um, you asked me this on your podcast and I just feel like I want to ask <laughs> you this. What are three things you think people could do to increase their health, make their life better? Um, yeah, the tables have turned now, haven't they? Um, <laughs> honestly, I think you gave me like one of the best responses last time. So I might even be copying you here, but yeah, like go outside and get your feet on the ground and get in sun. That's like huge. Um, try to spend, Maybe the first part of your day, just doing that, getting your feet on the ground, walking around barefoot outside and getting some of those early sun rays in. Um, Second, get your water situated out, ditch the tap water and get like reverse osmosis or distilled. Or if you have a spring at your place, use that. Um, 
get your water figured out because that is probably one of the biggest changes I think someone can make in their health is getting, yeah, you know, their water situated. And then third, I think love people, you know, try to get your hands on someone every day, give someone, like get three hugs a day. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and just try to find people in your life that you just love and spend a lot of time around them. That's awesome, man. Good, good stuff. You have anything else you'd want to add before I let you go? No, man. I, yeah, I appreciate what you're doing more and more in the community. You know, I feel like I spent like a lot of time in like the physiology, anatomy, all that kind of stuff. And now I'm just like, let me just be in the ground and, you know, be in the garden forward. So I, I mean, I appreciate yeah. what you're doing. You're out so, there working on farms and doing stuff. I mean, you're doing, it's like, I, I think somebody like you and what you're doing in, as a profession, you know, you think of some guys just sitting there with books and, you know, out grabbing his herbs and just talking to people, but you're out working, getting your hands in the dirt and working in these farms and out foraging. And you can't I get the dirt cool, out of my man. fingernails, man. I try and try and try. It doesn't come out. No, it's, yeah, it's great. I mean, to be outside, you can't ask for a better blessing. Yeah. And yeah, so no, I, I think just if people are interested in their health, just like start somewhere. That's the biggest thing. Just yeah. just do it. I can't tell you how many times people reach out to me. I get like um, inquiries every week and some people come and that's great. We get a relationship going, but there's a lot of people who don't. And it's just because, you know, it doesn't get on the calendar. It doesn't get done. It's it's not scheduled or like, you know, they're like, oh, they'll reach out like two months later. Like, oh, I forgot to follow up with you. Just do it and do it now and don't wait and you'll see huge results. Changes are hard to make, but they're impossible to make if you don't take that first step and start doing something. Yeah, absolutely. So do it, make, do, make the hard choices, do the, do what you gotta do. And then I know it, it's, it's amazing. Uh, the quality of life, how much your life will increase uh, just, just doing things like that. I mean, it's just amazing. So you'll feel like a, a better person and you'll be a better person, honestly. And, and, you know, and, uh, no matter how long you live, you at least will be happier. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's all you can ask for. That's right. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Aaron. It's been great. And uh, you've just been, I mean, provide a lot of great information for folks. So I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate being here. Looking around, I find the sea. I think I need a change. The rat race, I want to flee. My world, I'll rearrange. I'm getting back to the roots of how it's meant to be Growing gardens, picking fruit, racing livestock, living free It's a modern homestead Build a modern homestead A lot of folks don't understand We do here every day Snapping beans like grandma did Sitting on her front porch Hunting and fishing like a kid Once you've done all of your chores It's a modern homestead Today